ask that our hearts would worship you as your truth is revealed to us, Lord. Teach us this morning. Good morning. At this time, the elementary age kids and younger can go out this door and down the hallway to our children's wing. I don't know that everyone, anyone has ever called it a children's wing, but that's what it is now. And middle schoolers out the back. Um, wow. Thank you, worship team. Um, just to speak as someone who's usually out there, every week God uses you guys to tune my heart and our hearts to the things of God and prepare us. So thank you. We are continuing in John's gospel. I feel like last week Brandon said we were on week 60 of um, John's gospel. I know I started in February of 2017, and we were like in John chapter 2, so I think it's like week 100. I don't know. I don't, that's math, and it's not my subject matter. Um, thank you for building me up and revealing that I teach Bible, so there are no excuses, right? I mean, I, I do this for a living, and so thanks. You know, you're appreciated, yeah. Yeah, before you said that, I had every excuse in the world. But uh, no, I'm just trying to carry the fire today. If you're visiting, um, I have the obligatory comment to make that we have the two best preachers in the whole world at this church. And uh, they're not me, but they are off doing, doing preacher stuff this week. And uh, so this is a mulligan. You know, come back next week, no matter what happens. I could knock the stool over. I made it up the steps and got the switch turned on, so... I mean, I've already had my win for today, but um, yeah, I get to carry the fire. We, we are going to be in John 15, and you may remember, we've been several weeks now in Jesus' last night on earth, right? So it started a few weeks ago in John chapter 13, that was the final night, um, you know, before he's going to go to the cross deep, 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 uh, he's going to get arrested deep, deep, deep in the hours of that night and be crucified the next day, and so in John 13... He has the Lord's Supper. He washes their feet. They really don't get that, though, right? Um, in fact, Peter doesn't want that to happen. No, no, you're not this kind of Lord, the kind that washes feet. And Jesus tries to explain that, but they still don't get it yet. Um, in John 14, Jesus moves into the final discourse of John before the crucifixion, right? So he's trying to explain to the disciples and comfort them. Um, get them ready for, to the degree that he can for what's about to happen. His death, his burial, his resurrection, right? So um, in John 14, he says, you know, I'm leaving, but it's okay. You're not going to be alone. I'm going. I have to. It's, it's expedient for me to go. But you're not going to be orphans. The Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to empower you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to reveal all things to you. And then, of course, in John 15 um, of this final night, Jesus moves into these great love chapters, right? He talks about how he's the vine. Um, to be a disciple means you're connected to the vine. Treb explains that's where we get our name. Names are important. That's our identity. Brandon talked last week about more of uh, chapter 15 as Jesus expounds what it means to be the people of God who love each other, right? The Father has loved Jesus. Um, Jesus has loved us who know him, who've been rescued by him. 
And a distinguishing mark for the people of God is that we are going to love each other in this world, right? As Brandon said, that is, and as Treb said the week before, that is one of the most powerful factors of our witness as the people of God, right? That we, when we come together, we Christians, when we come together as the body in community, we love each other in a way that the world just doesn't and can't, right? With the, the love of the Lord, so we're going to pick up, and, and I love our pastors, but, you know, they've preached on love for like three, four weeks. And so the verse I get to start with today, I, I can't believe they did this to me. It says, but if the world hates you, you know it hated me first. So thanks, Treb. Thanks, Brandon, for that. You talked about love, and I get to come in, and I think the word hate is mentioned like 50 times in like 15 verses. So I appreciate those guys. They're very conveniently away for this weekend. But let's pray. Um, we are going to look at a remarkable passage in John 15 in just a moment. But um, let's, let's pray, and uh, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for um, the time of worship that prepares our hearts. Thank you for a time to come and, and dive into John's gospel, this word that you have given us that shows us who Jesus is and shows us who the Spirit is, shows us who we are in Christ, and teaches us how to live. Take just a moment to pray that God will reveal some things from his word to your heart today. Father, you know at the vine here, we're trying to be a community that, that um, has unity and seeks you together, seeks you as a people, not a bunch of individuals. So take just a moment now, and we will pray for a neighbor around us. Pray for someone, maybe you know them, maybe you don't, but just pray for someone that the Lord puts on your heart who's near you right now. And finally, let's pray for the vine and um, just the unity that comes out of chapters like the ones we're reading recently. Pray that the vine will be a place where we love each other, where we're unified, where we go out to a world as a unified front. Father, I pray as we read your holy word, and as we go through the rest of John chapter 15 today. I pray your Holy Spirit will pierce our hearts and teach us. Lord, help us have a teachable spirit. Help me have a teachable spirit. And I pray your Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth today. Pierce our hearts with truth from your word, God, that you've given us. And I pray that your spirit will change us, Lord. Help us grow as the vine today. Help us grow in our own lives. Help us grow together today. Bless our pastors while they're away. I hope they know how much we love them, Lord, and we do pray for them. We pray for their well-being. We're so thankful that you use them to teach us so much and 
so deeply, Lord, and I do ask for rich blessings on them. Bless the study of your word today in Christ's name. Amen. So, John chapter 15, turn there with me. We are in Jesus' final night, and we're going to pick up in verse 18. John chapter 15, we're going to pick up in verse 18. We will finish this chapter today. John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who has sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father... That is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me, and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. So that's our text today. Um, like I said, they left me with one of the real easy passages of the Bible this week, right? Um, the world hates you because it hated me. Um, and by hating me, they hate the Father. If I hadn't come, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. They wouldn't know sin, but I did come, and they're guilty. And so that just fulfills their own law, right? That just, what he says there, that just fulfills the scriptures that we already have in place, and it's okay, the helper's going to come, and when he comes, he'll bear witness of me, and you will bear witness of me. And so that's kind of our passage in a nutshell. We do need to make some observations, though. Um, there's kind of a natural progression in this passage. It kind of starts from an A and leads to a B to a C and to a D. Um, that's probably supposed to be three points, but I think we're going to see four. Um, that was a joke about sermons, but it's okay. Um, verse 18, the first thing we observe is, if the world hates you. Now let's stop right there. So, tricky word, this word, if, okay? So, notice it's not like an if-then thing, a condition. Notice that? It's not like, if I exercise, then I'll get tired. This is more of a, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. So, the word if here, it, it has more of the force of if and when. Does that make sense? It's not like, they may or may not hate you, and if they do, th no, no, no. That's not what he's saying. If and when, right? So that's the first observation we need to make. He's, he's been teaching them, Jesus has been teaching the disciples about what? Love, right? The Father loves the Son. He's loved them. They're to love each other, right? 
we are to be a people who have a distinct love ethic that no one else has. That's one of the marks of the church. It's one of the marks of discipleship. That's one of the marks of the people of God. We love each other. And then we have a very strong contrast here, right? But if and when the world hates you. Now, that would have been great news, right? Because they're already freaking out, right? Jesus is saying things like, I'm going to leave you. And they're like, ah, where are you going? You can't do that. And he's like, no, no, it's okay. I'm going to go build a place for you in John 14. They're like, well, what does that even mean? How can you do that? So they're already having a hard time, right? And now he's dropping this sort of bombshell on them. Oh, and by the way, the world is going to hate you. If and when, if the world hates you, you being the the 12, at this point, the 11, because one is left to go betray Jesus, right? So the 11 who are left um, at the end of his ministry here, they're being told, not only is he going away, but the rest of the world, right? Notice the word world there, okay? Not just uh, your village or your family or Jerusalem. The world, okay, if and when it hates you. So you can see how this just immediately shifts in John chapter 15. You love each other, but when the world hates you, and we know that that's kind of what happened, right? You flip over to the book of Acts, and these same men go to the world, and what does the world do? It hates them, okay? John and Peter preach early in Acts, and what happens? They, they get hurt. They get physically hurt for it. They get put in jails. They get told, shut up. And I love their answer. It's like, make me, right? Like, we'll do a lot of things, but we can't quit preaching about Jesus. It's not going to happen. So they go back to jail a lot, right? So they're in and out of jail. But, but you know, not to make light of the situation, the book of Acts shows that the, the early church is sort of defined by persecution. That's one of the marks of the church in Acts. The world is rejecting these people. It's rejecting Jesus' disciples. It's hurting people. It's killing people. Right? You know that, right? When you read Acts, Christians die in Acts. In church history, Christians die for this faith. Around the world today, Christians die for this faith. You know that, right? I know that persecution, like, we kind of throw that word around in our culture. And yes, we have some persecution. But you know, around the globe today, there are Christians that have been in jail a long time. And there are Christians who die daily. Daily for this faith. Right? I was reading just this past week about a couple. I I try to keep up with just some of this stuff. Because we have the, the capability, right? Because of the internet, we have the capability to keep up with some of this stuff. So I was reading about a pastor in Turkey, um, who uh, last name Brunson, first name escapes me, who was locked up for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, just taken without a cause, awaiting trial. There's no, there's no cause that he should be there. He's just, he's just in jail for being a Christian. And I was reading about Pastor Saeed again, um, the uh, pastor in Iran who was locked up just for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And, you know, these things happen today. The world hates the people of Jesus. 
It's not a big leap to go from, if the world hates you, the 11 disciples, to us today, right? I mean, we're disciples. Like, we kind of see ourselves in them, right? They represent us who are trying to follow the Lord. But, so the first observation is, Jesus is assuming that the world is going to hate disciples of Jesus, right? But verse 18 doesn't stop there. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. See that? So the second observation is the reason it hates us, the reason it hated the 11, the reason the world hates um, disciples of Christ is because really the root problem is what? The world actually hates Jesus, right? If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of this world, because of this, the world hates you. So the world hates Jesus. I mean, what a text, right? What a text. The world hates us because it hates Jesus, right? I found this to be true. I remember one time when I was pastoring in Missouri, and I tried to pastor for about seven years, so I felt more pastored by the people of God, but that's okay, I guess. But I remember when I was pastoring at Concord Baptist Church in Bates City, Missouri, a very rural church, and rural churches do this thing called visitation. Anybody familiar with that? So, like, what you do to pastor is you preach, you teach, you visit hospitals, you go to homes, and you go knock on doors. That's kind of rural pastoring. And so, and I love that, by the way. I love that. I love just going up knocking on a door not knowing what's going to happen. I love knocking on the door of the saints and going in and praying. And, and people in, in Missouri, in, in Bates City, Missouri, if they knew I was coming, they would feed me and they would coffee me and they would... Uh, desert me, and I had a real weight problem in Missouri, but, but, oh, I loved it. But I didn't know what I was doing, so what I tried to do, what we tried to do, is we would set up an event. We're going to have this at church, or this kind of service, Christmas service, Thanksgiving dinner, random barbecue, (laughs) whatever, right? And we would go knock and invite people, okay? Um, you know, sometimes it worked, most of the time it didn't, but we would go knock on doors, and one time I was out with uh, uh, one of our older members, and we were knocking on doors, and we, we went down a road I had never been in before, and we um, came to like this big loop that had like five houses around it, so you went in one side, you would see all, you know, five houses and go out the other. And we thought, well, oh, this is convenient. Let's just start here. We'll walk around and uh, um, we'll get back in Bill's truck and we'll drive off. So we did. We went to the first house, knocked. Hey, we're having this service. I think at that time it was our Thanksgiving dinner. Hey, we're having this. We want everyone to come. Come join us. And they said, oh, great, we'll be there. And of course, they weren't there, right? Because like 99 out of 100 say they're going to be there, but they, they're not. And that's okay, though. I mean, you just do your part and let the Lord handle that, right? 
So we went to the first house. Oh, yeah, we'll be there. We went to the next house, and a guy comes out, and I kind of knew it wasn't going to go well from his language, right? Like, what the are you doing here? Oh, well, I'm the pastor at Concord. Um, you know, we're having this event. Please come. You know, we'd, we'd love to have you drop in and all that stuff. And he pulls out a handgun, right? And he's like, no. And I'm like, okay, are you sure? He said, listen. He said, listen, don't ever come to my property again. And I said, okay, all right. Well, we will just kind of go to these other houses. And he said, shh, shh, no, you won't. You stay away from them, 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 and leave now. And he slammed his door in the face. Just wham. So I looked at Bill, and I didn't know what to do. I know what my inclination was, right, to run through the woods screaming, right? Um, but I also, I'm real self-conscious, and Bill... Like, he was my, like, I didn't want to look like that in front of him or anyone ever, right? So guys are like that. Like, we'll do stupid stuff if someone's, like, we just, I can't. So we went to the next house and, and knocked on their door and someone, oh, yeah, and gave them a flyer. And, of course, they didn't come, but they said they would. And we were going to the next one, and we heard, like, the F-bomb coming across the big circle, right? And we look up, and there he is walking, and he's, he yells something like, I told you, beep, 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 bleep, bleep. And so at that point, I was done, right? All right I did my axe thing. We skipped the last two houses. We, we just kind of jogged up to Bill's truck and drove off, you know. I never saw the guy again. But isn't that sort of, in a nutshell, how the world really feels about the people of God, Right? Man, it hates us because it hates Jesus. It just does. We're not ever going to win the world to the Lord by making it like us. You understand that, right? Like I'm all for like friendship and relationship evangelism, right? That's perfect for me. I'm... I've been a Christian for like 20 years now, and I'm still scared to share my faith. So I can go be someone's friend, though, and wait and just hope an easy moment comes to do that. All right, so I could, I, I, deep down, I want to hide behind all that stuff, right? But ultimately, we're never going to friend people into the kingdom. You know that, right? Because at some point, for people to enter the kingdom, they have to go through what? The way, the truth, and the life, like we were singing about earlier. They have to go through Jesus. And the natural inclination of sinful humankind is what? We hate Jesus. In fact, it's not just that they hate Jesus. Look, verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So it's not just that the world has these emotional feelings about us that are negative, right? It's more than that. It's not just that the world looks at Jesus and says, boo. All right. I, I mean, I know it, it, they do that, though, right? I mean, they do boo Jesus and yay devil and all that kind of stuff. I understand that. But the world is actually, it's not just emotional. They're antagonistic to the things of God. The disciples, they learn that. 
You flip over to Acts, that was their Christian experience. That was, quote, their best life now, right? Their own people and the larger world hated them and frequently tried to kill them. When Paul was trying to minister to the church of, uh, at Corinth, and our letters that give us great insight into that are what? 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, right? When he was trying to minister to them and teach them what authentic discipleship is, one of the crazy things in all the New Testament is that other people moved in and challenged him and actually said things to the people like, you can't listen to him, he sounds like garbage, he's nothing to look at, and his message is that this faith might lead to suffering. Therefore, we know Paul's a liar. Don't trust him. Give your money to us. Paul had to challenge that. You know, in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, he gives his biography. And it's not, it's not just, you know, I went to such and such college. I got this degree. This other school gave me an honorary. It, it, it was, I was cast into the sea for several days. I was stoned by my own people. I've been rejected everywhere I go. And he uses that as a counter-argument. Look, I have the real marks of discipleship. The world has hated me. And the world has stretched its hand against me. Verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. Next observation. So we kind of started with the world hates you because the world hates me, Jesus, right? But really it's because they don't know the one who sent me. See that? A world that hates the people of Christ because they hate Christ and they're severed from the God who sent Christ, the Father who sent the Son. Right? Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. And he who hates me hates my father also. Wow. What a crazy text, right? If I hadn't come, they wouldn't know about sin. They wouldn't have sin. They wouldn't have guilt. They wouldn't have sin guiltiness. Man, that's nuts. What is he saying? Well, you know, I've been baffled by this for a couple weeks now, but I really think it's not that hard when you look very closely. Look in verse 18. It says, if the world hates you. So he's talking about the world hating the people of God, right? But notice in verse 20, he really um, narrows in, not just the world anymore, look. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. So who's he talking about in verse 22? He's narrowed in from the world to who? The ones who specifically persecuted him and are going to persecute the people of God when he leaves, right? He's talking about his own people, the Jewish elites, Okay, now that's not anti-Jewish or anti-Judaism, um, which when I was in doctoral studies, people always said, well, John's anti-Jewish. Like, no, he was Jewish. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know that he, he wasn't anti-Jewish. He was a Jew, as was Jesus. Everybody knows that, right? Okay. 
But just read John's gospel. Everything Jesus did, they dogged his steps and spoke against him and tried to grab him and get their hands on him, but he always supernaturally eluded them, right? John chapter 5, he heals someone who had, who, who had been a paralytic for years and years and years, and the response of the people is, praise God! No, right? For several chapters, they want to kill him for that. Because if a man came and healed someone and claims to forgive sins and things like that, then that means he's from God. That means he is God. And they rail against that and they gnash their teeth and and they're out to get him constantly. And he's saying even weirder things, right? Like before Abraham was, I am saying words that God says in the Old Testament, right? I am, God says in Exodus 3, when he reveals himself to Moses. So Jesus came and he did the things of God and his own people persecuted him and in Acts, his own people, their own people are out to get them and they're even killing them, right? You know that happens in Acts, right? Christians, the early Christians who were Jews first, are dying by the hands of their own people for this faith. See that? But the game changer happened, right? Jesus came into the world. And maybe before that, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I can unpack everything in this verse. But when he comes into this world, everything changes. There are no more claims about covenant identity and being Jewish. No, now the terms of the covenant are what? Jesus, do you trust him? Old Testament saints, when they trusted God, they were trusting the same God who would come into this world and die for their sins. Well, in Jesus, he's come. And what did they do? They persecuted him. Why? Because when he comes, what does he say? Now they look at him and know that they're sinners. That's what's really going on here, right? Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. He quotes a couple Psalms there, um, Psalm 35 and 69, where David is God's anointed king, but the people are persecuting him and trying to kill him. Why? It's, for John, that's sort of proof positive that this is just the way it goes. There are the authentic people of God, and there are the phony people of God. And when Jesus came, he exposed that to the nth degree, right? A few received him, but most rejected him and persecuted him. Why? Because he exposes sin. Because he really is the light of the world. Like John chapter 3 says, when he comes into the world, his light shines and men recede from it. Why? Because he exposes sin. Now, think of the progression. The world hates disciples because the world hates Jesus. And in hating Jesus, the Son, the world hates the Father. See that? The chapter is getting at one of the core doctrines of the faith that is so countercultural today. It's just the opposite of what the world tells us. And that's the doctrine that the church has called total depravity. 
human beings are sinners and we can't build a road to God. We can't find our own path to God. We can't vindicate ourselves and do enough good works and pull ourselves up and make ourselves people who can find our way and navigate our way back to God. And the world hears this message, the gospel, and they hate it because it exposes that we're utterly insufficient to save ourselves. And we're utterly dependent on someone else for all our being, for our righteousness, for our justification. To be saved. We are utterly dependent on someone else to be saved. And so the message here is touching at one of the core doctrines of the Christian faith, isn't it? Total depravity. You know, in Genesis 3, when the people sin, they get kicked out of the presence of God. Right? You know, throughout the New Testament, it just affirms over and over and over again the sinfulness, the the depravity of humankind that we really do need some external Savior. You know that, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Paul says in Romans 3. We fall short of it. One of the reasons, I don't know, a year and a half, a year and a quarter ago, one of the reasons when I came to this church that my family decided to stay here was our pastors are just, and this church is just honest about that doctrine. We don't try to hide it. We try to be biblical And being biblical means being honest about sin and the human condition. And one of the marks of the church, authentic Christianity has to say this. You and I, if we want to be authentic Christians, we have to say this. Sin is so bad and so powerful and so defining of the human condition that apart from God, we could never make our way to God on our own. You know that, right? That's why we sing together he is the way the truth and the life we can't do that now if we're going to say that we have to be ready for the repercussions right true or false everyone out there wants to hear that in this world right they want to hear they're so bad that there's nothing they can do to vindicate themselves and make their own way to god well that's false right The truth is, if we're going to believe this and say this, we have to be ready for the repercussions. And the repercussions are that the world is going to utterly reject us. The world is going to say, no, thank you. And so we really are left with mission impossible. We're going to go tell the world about Jesus, and it's going to reveal their sin. And so they're going to hate disciples. They're going to hate Jesus, they hate the Father because they reject the only way to the Father, right? Jesus, the one whom he has sent. And, and they hate and gnash their teeth at the fact that, that their sin is revealed in his light and his glory and in the message of the gospel. They hate it. 
it really is mission impossible. And it's why I back down so often from evangelism opportunities. Sometimes I wonder how many I let get away. Just because I, look, if you're like me, I hate two things, like, just through the roof. I hate these things. I hate conflict. Oh, I hate conflict. It's so easy to win an argument with me. Oh, it's so easy. When I was at Concord in Missouri when I was pastoring, we were having a little discussion. And literally a a 90-year-old woman backed me into a corner and I told her she could. I was like, no, okay, you can have it. Okay, we'll do it that way. Just leave me alone. I hate conflict. I teach college and I try to go in like in week one, like, okay, this is how we're going to do things. Two weeks later, the kids are in control. They know. I hate conflict. Okay, we'll do, yeah, yeah. You can turn that in Friday. Just, I hate conflict and I hate rejection. I hate rejection. Now, if you like conflict and you like rejection, okay, just, just stay away from me, okay? All right, because you are the weirdo, and I don't get to say that very often, okay, that someone else is the weirdo. If you like conflict and, and you like rejection, okay, then you don't get it about this passage, okay? See, I think that's one of the, the symptoms of American Christianity that this exposes. The world kind of hates us for some of the wrong reasons, right? We're way too opinionated. We're, we're ungracious. We often have strong opinions, but we don't reach down and help people, right? Maybe, maybe our identity and our message gets too caught up in, in politics and things like that. I, I think too often the world hates us for actually good reasons, right? We can be real jerks sometimes, and that's not okay. That's not what this passage is telling us. That's one of the indications of unhealth in American Christianity, when the world hates us because we're obnoxious, right? Don't do that, all right? I say this as someone who does that often. We got to stop it, right? The right reason for the world to hate us is because we love each other in the Lord, and we take the gospel to the world, and the Spirit exposes their sin and the spirit bears witness to christ you say well how do you know that well because the very next verse verse 26 makes it clear this is mission impossible except for god right it's not impossible for god verse 26 when the helper comes whom i will send to you from the father that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will testify about me And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Wow. The Father sends the Son. The Son has to leave, but it's for our benefit. He's going to pay for our sins. And then from the Father, the Son will send the Spirit, and the Spirit will take care of the witness part, right? It really is impossible. The world hates us. They don't want to hear this. They don't want to hear, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Ah, eh, uh, no, right? They go to their safe space, right? <laughs> it's, it, is, it, is, it is the triggering question for the world forever, right? Can I tell you about Jesus? No, they don't want to hear that, but, right? Take heart. 
Spirit will bear witness to him. And thus, in the Spirit, we can bear witness to him. Do you see what the passage is about now? Do you see the natural progression? Notice what, what we see. If the world hates you, it hated me first, Jesus. And in hating me, it hates the Father. Because when I come, I expose sin. But I'm sending the Spirit. So what do we do with this text? What do we do with a passage like this? Man, I don't know. I had 800 things buzzing around my head. I think there's some very key takeaways. One, this is so anti-American church. Oh, I don't even want to say it because I hate conflict. We have to reject cheap grace. You and I, the Vine Community Church, we have to reject cheap grace. What do I mean? Well, I'm borrowing a term from... A guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who had the difficult task of being a pastor in World War II in Nazi Germany, and saw the church retreat and say, kind of not our problem, the whole state and, and, and extermination of Jews. That's a state problem. You get what I'm saying? He saw his church and, and Central Europe, churches around the world, just sort of retreat and not say a lot about that. And it dawned on him that in the West, in the Western world, in Europe and the United States, the predominant form of Christianity had become in the 20th century um, cheap grace. A grace that wants all the benefits. He saved me and he loves me and the potlucks, right? All the good things. But not the persecution and change and repentance and mission. We can't do that. That's our inclination, right? That's my inclination. You know what I really want at the end of the day? I want cheap grace. That's the problem. You and I, deep down, what we want is easy Christianity. And in our culture, you can shape a Christianity that just looks so doable. I can go to church. I can teach Bible. I put my nice shoes on today. I usually wear tennis shoes, but I had a last second change of plans. And It's so easy to look like the real thing, but not be it in this culture. I know because I do it like on a weekly basis, probably on a daily. I just don't want to admit that. There's a lot of people. You understand that, right? Our natural inclination is we want a Christianity that that doesn't cost us anything. I don't want conflict and rejection. I hate that some of my family members want nothing to do with me because they know, they know I'm a Jesus freak, right? They know it's going to come up at the dinner in conversation, they know I'm going to ask them. They know I've been praying for them. Oh, and they hate it. I hate, I hate that. I hate, I, I have people in my mind right now that I haven't spoken with in years. They just don't want any part of God's stuff. And I don't know what to do other than pray. Pray for them. 
I don't want rejection. I don't want to walk out my front door, walk next door, knock, and then someone uses language or pulls a 45 or whatever, right? I don't want that. I like to think I'm a little bit tough and I'm a little bit brave, but when a guy comes walking across a yard with a handgun, I'm, I'm, I'm all, it's all out the window, right? Ah! Like there's like just, no, I don't want that. I don't want Christianity to be dangerous. See that? We don't want that. But you know what? If we're going to be disciples, we have to come to grips with the fact that it's going to cost us something or we can keep living in in this thing that one man called cheap grace. We must reject cheap grace. As I look at this passage... Let's not ignore the obvious. We must, are you listening? We must be a church that makes a big deal about the Trinity. Yeah, it's weird and we can't explain it. There's one God, he's three persons, and we really can't say much more than that. One of the reasons I came to this church is because our pastors and this church and our elders They make a big deal about the Trinity. We are a Trinitarian church. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We can't talk about that stuff too much. You see that? Not in this church, but I've been in churches where it's sort of like, shh, we know there's a Holy Spirit, we just don't talk about Him here. Shh, it's weird. Yeah, it's weird. To be a Christian is to be a little bit, no. To be a Christian is to be a weirdo. You know that, right? A weirdo, right? We believe no one can save themselves, and we believe weird things like the Trinity. Now, also, listen, let's not forget context here. We must distinguish ourselves as a community that loves each other. Remember, all the buildup, to where we started today, has been about love. That's the context. Why do we need to love each other? Because the world is going to hate you. The world rejects Christ. It rejects the things of God. And so the buildup has been, so love each other. By this, the world will know that you're my disciples, he says, right? Truly love each other. Get to know each other. Shake hands. You know, I'm, I'm blessed. been here over a year now. I call so many people here friends. Not just people I go to church with, but friends. When I talk about the vine with people around town or at, at work or wherever, I say, oh yeah, my friend this. It's just, I mean, these are my friends. You are my friends, right? I mean, the neighbors still hate me and Jesus, right? We need each other and the love that we have for each other and the community and the unity and the fellowship, it's paramount. You, you get that, right? This whole text we've read, it falls in the, it, it, it falls in the context of love. And it's really the icing on the cake for the love. 
we have to love each other and get this right because we don't have any other options. Not if we're authentic. Not if we're sold out for the Lord. I don't know if I'm sold out for the Lord. I think I have my days. No, no, I think I have my moments, right? Um, I know sometimes I don't, but I want to be sold out for him. You see what I'm saying? I want to be of Christ. I want to be of the Lord. And if we're going to do that, world, it's not our home anymore. He said in the text, I chose you out of the world. world knows that and they hate you. I love good old planet Earth, okay? Most weekends I take some animal on this, this Earth and I grill it in a smoker and I eat it. I love this planet, okay? It's a good world. When God looked at his creation and he said it's very good, he was so right. It even tastes good. It is good. I was in the Ozarks all last week. Oh, what a world. But isn't it the truth, though? Haven't you found this to be true? The world, it really isn't your home anymore. See that? In a sense, we can enjoy it, but we're waiting for the real kingdom. Like he said in John 14, I'm going to make a place for you. The, the assumption is that we're out of place now, right? So we need to love each other. And finally, oh, here's the hard one. I don't want to say it. I hate conflict. Listen, finally, we must trust the activity of the Holy Spirit must trust the Spirit's convicting and, and witnessing work in this world. I, I, I'm waiting for the day to come when evangelism is like easy. When, and I hate to even use a big word like evangelism. Just sharing Jesus is easy. I know people that it's like second nature, okay? Um, I mean, I have friends who teach evangelism at schools and like they just like... Okay, <laughs> I mean, they just live in just sharing the Lord constantly, all day, every day. And I'm just, oh, Lord, help me, help me learn. I think deep down we don't trust the Spirit's activity enough. What do I mean by that? Well, for some reason, I, and maybe many of you can relate to this, I don't bear witness enough to the Lord. I know sometimes that the opportunity goes and I missed it. And, and sometimes they don't, and praise God. But oftentimes, I know I miss it. It comes, it goes, I let it go, and, and I, it's the rejection thing and the conflict thing. And it's also that I, I wonder if I really and truly believe in my heart and deep down that he's bearing witness to Christ. Have you ever seen someone... Back up with that question. Have you ever shared Jesus with someone and, and seen them get saved? It, it knocks our socks off, doesn't it? When I was preaching at Concord, there was this young lady who started coming, and the Lord started changing her life. And so her dad started coming, and he wasn't a believer. And... Um, he just, like, I got to go see this thing that, that's changing her life. So he, 
would coming with her, and it turned out he hated me. Oh, he hated me. People were calling me up, what did you do to him? Like, what do you mean? Well, he said you, you were talking about him. You were talking about his sin, and I was like, what? What? What does he talk? It turned out that he came for several weeks and thought every sermon was aimed at him personally, right? So I thought that was like an old anecdote that people use. No, no, no. This guy actually came and thought that I knew his sins and was talking about them on a weekly basis. And he wanted to punch my lights out. People are, oh, you better stay away, which coincidentally his name was Bill too, but a different Bill, not Bill who survived the, the gun incident with me. But this, oh, he wanted to just deck me. People, you better stay. And so I would see him at church, and he would huff and leave out. And I was like, I wonder why he's coming. And then to make a long story short, I mean, one day he came, and he wept, and he was baptized, and his life changed, and then he died. And it just reminded me that the Spirit's working in this world. Yes, the world is going to hate us, but that's okay. The Spirit is working, and at any given time, the light can come on for someone, and they get it, and they weep, and they repent, and they cry out to God. I wonder if I really believe that. I feel, and we should feel like this at the vine, if we really believe that, we would be taking Jesus to people a lot more than we are. Now, I'm speaking to myself here, but if you can identify with that, praise the Lord. Let me close with one quick verse. I'll read and I'll be done. It's from the book of Titus. It's from Titus chapter 3. Let me just read it. You don't have to turn. In chapter 3, Paul tells Titus, who himself is going to be in charge of other elders and pastors, he tells him this, remind them, okay, the people that are going to be under your authority, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's not PC. That can't be. <laughs> he says, that was us. That can't be me. Hateful and hating one another. That's our biography. That's humankind's biography total depravity we were hateful and hating one another but when the kindness of god our savior and his love for mankind appeared he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the holy spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through jesus christ our savior so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know, let's never forget that had the Spirit not convicted us and drawn us, we would be and at one time were the people out there that, that what? 
that hated his disciples because we hated him and we hated that he reveals our sin. That was us. But his spirit is working in this world. Our only question is, do we really, really believe that? Let's pray. God, thank you for this text. Oh, what a challenging text. Oh, Lord, thank you that I finally get to lay this, this text down and it can quit beating me up. Do bless us, Lord. Help us be people who trust in your Spirit's activity. Help us be people who stir up love in this place, in the Vine Community Church. And help us be people who have full confidence that you are with us and that your Spirit is working even as, as we try to figure out how to engage and reach and take Jesus to a world that hates us and hates you, Lord. Bless our witness. Bless us today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.